Hey, Scott here with Grace Bible Church. Before we get into this message, I just wanted to thank you for streaming this sermon. We pray that each week you are challenged by who God is and what he has done for you. Now, this is never meant to be a substitute for you to be an active member of a community of faith. If you live in the Hollidaysburg area, or if you're in town for any reason, we encourage you to gather with us on Sunday mornings for our word and worship. You can learn more about what God is doing through our church body on our website, gbclive.org. John chapter 14, just the first six verses. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Where I go, you know, in the way you know. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going, and how can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Well, the evidence suggests that most ancient civilizations have some belief in the afterlife, and that should not surprise us. The Bible says in both Old and New Testament that God has placed within us this concept of eternity, that we instinctively know that we will live somewhere forever, that death is not the end of our existence. Ecclesiastes 3.11, he has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity in their hearts. Romans chapter 1, verse 19, what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. In other words, we're created in the image of God, and part of that image is eternality. So we know that death is not the end of our existence. We instinctively recognize that we are an eternal being. Yet even among Christians, the concept of heaven can be a little bit fuzzy, a little blurry. Uh, some of us, uh, some have believed over the years that heaven is just one long eternal church service. <laughs> that sounds exciting, doesn't it? Yeah. Hey, I enjoy our church service, okay. But heaven is much more than that. The early Christians were preoccupied with heaven. I think our lives have become so comfortable with all of our modern conveniences that maybe heaven is not on our minds, certainly not as much as for the early Christians and early generations of Christians. It's interesting when you study the Roman catacombs where many Christians are buried, you find a lot of inscriptions referring to heaven. In Christ, Alexander is not dead but lives, one who lives in Christ. He was taken up to his eternal home. Other common Christian inscriptions say, reborn and born again to Jesus. Some have the day of birth. That means a birth into their eternal life, the fact that though they have died, they have now gone on to be with the Lord. All these give fresh meaning to death, and you see many of them on several Christian graves. And not only the catacombs, but also uh, different tombstones of believers over the years uh, have statements about their belief in heaven. Many graves in the catacombs have the inscription deposito, meaning deposited in corruption to be raised in incorruption. In AD 125, a Greek named Aristarchus wrote to a friend about Christianity. 
He said, if any righteous man among them, the Christians, passes from this world, they rejoice and offer thanks to God, and they escort his body with songs and thanksgivings as if he were setting out from one place to another nearby. But we can become so comfortable here on earth that we never even think that much about heaven. 19th century British theologian J.C. Rao says, I pity the man who never thinks about heaven. Who never thinks about heaven. Now it's true, the older we get and as illness begins to ravish our body, because that's normally what happens, is that as we age, you know, we decline uh, physically. And so it's kind of normal for us to be thinking more about heaven. But there are some Christians who live in such a way that you would think that they have no hope of heaven, that their lives are so connected down here on earth that they're not really considering their eternal home. And that's a shame. Because remember, as Christians, our Savior is in heaven. Our loved ones are in heaven. Our home is in heaven. Our treasure is in heaven. Our reward is in heaven. Our inheritance is in heaven. And our names are written in heaven. So we should be focused in on heaven. Heaven is referred to in scripture more than 500 times. It is an important subject. Now this morning we're to consider two things. Number one is the reality of heaven. And then number two is the relevance of heaven. If we can find in scripture that heaven is a real, real thing... Well, then what difference does it make? So what relevance does a belief in heaven have, our hope in heaven, have to our lives here and now? Well, let's think about the reality of heaven. Oh, boy, this is going to be a short message. He's only got two points. (laughs) Don't worry about that. But uh, number one, the reality of heaven. Look at John 14. In my Father's house are many mansions. The word means dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, that place, there you will be also. So Jesus taught that heaven is a real place, a place. Yes, we sing the old hymn, I've got a mansion up in glory, but that's not a biblical hymn because we don't have mansions in glory. We have a place in the Father's house. Now, a place, by very definition, is something that is physical. In fact, the Greek word that is translated here as room, it's a place which a person occupies, such as Luke chapter 2, verse 7, when Mary and Joseph could not find, and there was no room for them in the inn. There was no place for them to occupy in the inn. Forty days after his resurrection, Jesus ascended from the Mount of Olives, and he ascended into heaven. Hebrews 8.1, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. Christ is in heaven. And how does Christ dwell in heaven? Well, a while back I preached on the ascension. Jesus ascended physically, bodily, in his glorified body. Jesus promised, the angels promised, this same Jesus who you so come will come back in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. 
So Jesus ascended into heaven in a physical glorified body. He's coming back from heaven in a physical glorified body. So we would surely believe that he is in heaven now in a physical glorified body. Randy Alcorn says, if we know there is physical substance in heaven, namely Christ's body, can we not also assume that other references to physical objects in heaven, including physical forms and clothing, are literal rather than figurative? Do you remember our, the first Christian martyr, Stephen, in the book of Acts, in Acts 7:56? Look, I see heavens open, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. So Jesus was standing. He was standing on something. Heaven is a real material place. Heaven is where God dwells and manifests his presence. Matthew 5, 16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Do you remember that Jesus told the thief on the cross, assuredly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise, Luke 23. Well, how do we know paradise is also heaven? Well, the apostle Paul was taken to heaven. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul says, It is doubtless not profitable for me to boast. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know, whether out of the body I do not know, God knows, such a one was caught up to the third heaven. And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows, how he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words which it is not lawful for a man to utter. Paul says, I don't know if this was a vision. I don't know if this was a translation to heaven. Now, we know if that was that Paul's body had to change because mortal man cannot inherit the kingdom of God. We know there were two men who were taken from earth directly to heaven. One was Enoch in the Old Testament, and one was Elijah in the Old Testament. So something had to happen to their mortal bodies for them to inhabit heaven. On the other hand, Paul doesn't know if this was simply a vision or if this was an actual translation. But that's not the point. Paul said, I was caught up to the third heaven, which he identifies as paradise. So the first heaven, you say, what do you mean, it's three heavens? Well, the first heaven is the earth's atmosphere. The second heaven is the universe, the planets, the stars. The third heaven, paradise, is where God dwells and where Paul was taken. Where is heaven? Heaven is up. <laughs> it's up. Probably in another dimension. We really don't know. But we do know that the third heaven, paradise, is where God dwells and where Paul was taken. Now, the place in which God is preparing us, the place Jesus has prepared us, is identified in the Bible. It's called the New Jerusalem, the New Jerusalem. You see, at the close of human history, heaven and earth will become one. Some people think that, oh, boy, yeah, you got this promise of heaven. So what, we're going to be disembodied spirits, and we're just going to sort of float around or, or walk on clouds or, you know... Uh, that doesn't sound too, too exciting for me. Well, you need to read your Bible. In Revelation 21, John says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. 
also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. The word new means new in character, not simply made over or remade, but recreated. Isaiah 65, for behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered nor come to mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. Now, the third heaven needs no recreation. That's where God dwells, and the third heaven is perfect. But the first and second heaven are cursed by sin. And so God one day is going to remove the curse of sin from his creation. So heaven is a material, physical existence on a material, physical earth and a new Jerusalem, the city in which I believe we will dwell for eternity. So you have the new creation, and the center of the new creation will be the new Jerusalem, which is described in Revelation 21, verses 9 through 26. If you're feeling down someday, and you're uh, hurting, and, and you know life is it's a struggle, and you know Christ is your Savior... I'd encourage you to meditate on Revelation 21, verses 9 through 26. If you want to know what your new eternal home is going to be like. God hasn't told us everything, but he's told us enough that we know this is a place to look forward to. Heaven is not some endless church service. Heaven is not some, you know, ethereal existence, out-of-body experience. No, heaven is a material existence. We're coming back here. It's going to be recreated. And if you think the beauty of God's creation now is stunning, can you imagine when he takes away the curse of sin? Can you imagine when he recreates the heavens and the earth and what we have to look forward to? So the center of the new creation is going to be the new Jerusalem. This is the city that Abraham looked for. Remember, Abraham looked for a city whose buildings and foundations, you know, they were of God. This is the city Abraham longed for. This is the place Jesus has been preparing for us. And John compares the city to a beautiful bride on her wedding day. He calls it the holy city because the people who dwell in the New Jerusalem will be the saints of all the ages, all saved people, and the holy angels, and God himself, it will be a place of unimaginable beauty and glory. Now, notice what John says. He says, I saw the new Jerusalem coming down out of God, coming down out of heaven. And the fact that it's coming down out of heaven surely implies that it's already been created. Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Now, I realized part of that preparation was going to the cross, so we understand the spiritual application of what he said. But he said, I'm going to prepare a place, a physical place. I believe this is the place he has been creating. Now, if the new Jerusalem is already in existence, is that where believers go when they die? When Jackie closed her eyes and took her last breath, is this where she awakened in the presence of Christ in the New Jerusalem? 
We cannot say that with absolute certainty. We know with absolute certainty, absent from the body, present with the Lord Jesus Christ. We know when we leave this earth, if we know Christ as our Savior, we will be with God in heaven, with Jesus in heaven. But we do know, based on Scripture, that the new Jerusalem is indeed our eternal home. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul says, Our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body. Heaven is a material existence in a material glorified body. It's not going to be dull. I mean, look at life today and all the experiences from our youth that we've been able to have and all the, the amazing things that God has permitted us to do in this physical limited, limited body. Can you imagine what he's going to give us in a new glorified body? We don't even know what experiences that he has that, that, that awaits for us. And what ca capabilities will a new glorified body have? What, what limitations will be removed in the new heavens, the new earth? in the new Jerusalem. We will dwell in God's presence and enjoy him forever. Revelation 21, verse 3. I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and, and be their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain for the former things have passed away. John, as he begins a description of the new Jerusalem, he starts with the things that won't be there. It's fascinating. No more pain, no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying. And so this is going to be an unbelievable, wonderful, incredible existence in heaven in the new Jerusalem. Our new glorified bodies will experience no pain or suffering. Now, when you read in Revelation 21, the shape of the new Jerusalem appears to be a perfect cube. And if you read back in the Old Testament, the Holy of Holies in Solomon's temple was a perfect cube. 1 Kings chapter 6, verse 20. Revelation chapter 21, verse 17. Then he measured his wall, 144 cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is, of an angel. Some have estimated this to be almost 1,400 miles. It's estimated to be about 2 million square miles of interior space. Now, the materials that we read in here for the walls and for the floors and, and, and all of that is, is translucent. And, and the glory of God just shines through all of this. And so this space in this incredible, perfect cube we'll probably, in our glorified bodies, be able to pass from one level to another level to who knows what we're going to be able to do. The wall, the foundation, the, the 12 foundations are brilliant spectrums of color. You know, God could have made the world in grays. He could have made the world in shades of brown, but he didn't do that. He made the world in such incredible colors such an incredible spectrum of beautiful colors. And when you read the description of the New Jerusalem and you look up the colors, at least what they mean today, because remember, John writes like and as, and 
you know, how do you, how do you describe in human language what is indescribable? And so the best he can do is say, well, this is like or this is as something that we can relate to here on earth. But even that, as you put it in your mind and you see the colors and, and, and the, the brilliance and the glory, it just takes your breath away even though it's a limited understanding. Revelation 21, 22, I saw no temple in it. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need of sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. You won't have to go anywhere to worship God. Our life will be worship. We will dwell with him eternally. The word light is lamp. The city and presumably the new heavens and the new earth will be illuminated by the glory of God. What an incredible future we have to look forward to. And all believers under both covenants are going to be there because they're represented by the 12 tribes and by the 12 apostles. Well, the centerpiece of the new Jerusalem is going to be the throne of God. Revelation 22, he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, Proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb, and in the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And probably the word healing there is better understood as refreshing. There's nothing to be healed of. I mean, there's not going to be any sickness or disease or pain, but just the refreshment that God will provide. You know, the story of redemption began in the Garden of Eden. And now it concludes in the new Jerusalem. Well, that's the reality of heaven. We could say a lot more about that. But let's talk about the relevance of heaven. So what? So what? So we've got this picture of a future. Skeptics would say, oh, you Christians, there's a pie in the sky by and by. You know, you're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. You just, your whole life is just thinking about, well, no, that's not what God intended. So what is the relevance of his revelation of heaven? Well, I believe our understanding of the reality of heaven should make a difference in our lives here on earth. Because Jesus gives us that eternal perspective in Matthew chapter 6, 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these other things, earthly things, may be added unto you. Dr. Gary Habermas, who was here a little while back, describes this having a top-down perspective. God and his kingdom come first, followed by various aspects of our earthly existence. So not only is eternity of great value, it is much more precious than the sum total of earth's enjoyable experiences, and that is incredible. No wonder Jesus said, what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world but he loses his own soul. And you could probably kind of say also, what profit is it to a man if he, he gains the whole world and loses heaven? And loses heaven. And many people today are gaining the whole world and they are fabulously rich in material things. But once they die, that's it. You're not taking anything with you into eternity except your soul. And so anything you own, you will no longer own on the day of your death. Heaven has a purifying effect on our lives. First John 3, Beloved, now we are the children of God. It has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, 
For we shall see him as he is, and everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. The reality of heaven makes sin much less appealing when we think about the incredible experiences and the glories that God has prepared for each one of us. And heaven provides us with an enduring hope. No Christian should go around hopeless. No Christian should go go around despondent and despairing. We have what the Bible calls a living hope. 1 Peter chapter 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now notice these words, to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Do you realize there is no force in the universe that can rob you of your eternal inheritance. It is sealed, it is set in heaven for you. And the power of God holds that reservation with your name on it. Heaven gives purpose to our suffering. 1 Peter 1, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ at his coming. Every experience in this life is preparation for the next. And God is preparing you, and he's preparing me for heaven if you know him as your Savior. Randy Alcorn writes, as long as God keeps you here on earth, it's exactly where he wants you. He's preparing you for another world, and he knows precisely what he is doing. Heaven diminishes the fear of death. Hebrews 2, that through death, he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. As I said last Sunday, every one of us is dying. We're mortal beings. But God has given us a wonderful gift, eternal life. You don't wait till you die to gain eternal life. Eternal life is a gift of God which you can receive and have right now through the Lord Jesus Christ. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Our death does not defeat us, but it's the means of our going to our heavenly home. I love to read this verse at funerals, 1 Corinthians 15, 54. Death is swallowed up in victory. What a great statement. Death is swallowed up in victory. For us, when we die, that's our passageway into real life, into the experience of eternal life. And like I said last Sunday, Jesus has revealed the way to heaven. John chapter 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Not everybody is going to go to heaven. Not everybody is going to go to heaven. I would hope that everybody here right now in this room is going to heaven, but I would suspect it's very likely some of you will not be there. Maybe you're still hung up on religion, or maybe you've not fully trusted Christ as your Savior, or maybe you've never come to grips with the fact that you are a hopeless, helpless, wretched sinner. 
and the only hope for you is to come to Christ. I hope that's not true. I hope that's not true. Revelation 21, 27, there shall by no means enter it, meaning the new Jerusalem, anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. If you recall at the end of the message last Sunday, if you were here, I was preaching on hell and how hell will be taken and put into the lake of fire. And at the end of Revelation chapter 20, it talks about those who are cast in the lake of fire are those who are not, their names are not in the book of life. So in other words, the people whose names are in the book of life are the people who will not go to hell or the lake of fire, but will be permitted admission into heaven, into the new Jerusalem. It's that black and white. It's that cut and dry. It's heaven or hell. There is no in-between. Say, what is the book of life? It's the record of the redeemed. That God knows your name. And when you trust Christ as your Savior... I don't know if he blots the name out that everybody that's ever alive has been in there and those who don't accept him, he blots their name out. I tend to think it's probably the other way. When you trust him as Savior, he records your name in heaven. Is your name in the book of life? Do you know that you know if you died today, you would go to heaven? C.S. Lewis wrote, if you read history... You will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. Aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. If your focus is only on this life, whatever pleasures or treasures you can gain, it's a very limited focus. Because one day, all those things will come to an end. But for those of us who know Christ, our life is just, in many ways, just beginning. Because we will be in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And whether he takes us into the new Jerusalem at the time of our death, or whether it's when, at at the second coming of Christ and the end of all history, really doesn't matter. That's our future. That's where we are going to dwell. And he's got things prepared for us that we couldn't even, I don't even think our mind could process. I don't think we have the mental capacity to understand the incredible surprises and blessings our God has for us. Don't miss heaven. Don't miss heaven. Don't give your soul away for the things that are transient when you could have so many blessings in eternity.